Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. Big day today in studio, which we don't get a lot in studio guests. We have uh, Ken Hogan, who was an Irvington lieutenant, right? Sergeant. 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 Uh, Ken has a story. Interestingly enough, I actually saw the video you guys did. They played it for us in my old police department. Mm-hmm. But you talking and the whole thing. So it's interesting how it comes full circle later on and I get to meet you in real life. And you're basically a New Jersey hero. <laughs> you're legendary in the in the police world in New Jersey. Right, so I appreciate when your name gets brought up, people are like, oh, fuck, I love Ken Hogan. He's a fucking man. Like everybody goes bonkers. So I guess you're doing a ton of shit with every organization, right? Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I love I love this cop world and uh, I love lecturing. I love talking and uh, it's an honor to be on this show. No, so, stop. No. Yeah, no, it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's all about the message. It's a good message. Yeah, it's all um, about the message. All right, Ken, give us the uh, give us the two minute skinny on your law enforcement career, and then we'll go into uh, what we got to talk about. All right, I started uh, my police career. I was just turning nineteen. I was eighteen, turning nineteen. Got on a job very young. You're not going to say what year, huh? No, I'm not going to say. <laughs> what year. Uh, but it was a long time ago. It was back in nineteen fifty-three. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, walk the beat. Uh, Got into a patrol car for a while and uh, street crimes. I you know went to work in plain clothes and and then uh, Irvington started to change a little bit and uh, Irvington got uh, pretty crazy. And uh, you grew up there? I, yeah, I was born and raised in Irvington. What was it like Irvington. then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's fucking nuts now. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's you know the sad part about it being nuts is there's still a lot of beautiful people there. Oh sure, you know, yeah, no doubt. But they unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, they're stuck. They're you know they're locked in and uh, they can't get away. But no, it, it's it's really weird because when I first became a cop, it was like the most beautiful town you can imagine. That's get where you want. Yeah, that's where no. you wanted to live. It had the best Irvington Center. It was it. incredible. It fur, they had Canadian furs. They had uh, two or three movie theaters. They had restaurants. Um, they had every kind of store you could imagine, from toy stores to men's clothing stores to women's dresses to baby stores, you know, shoe stores like Craig. Remember Buster Brown? They had Buster Brown. I remember oh, Buster yeah. Brown, yeah. Uh, Tom McCann, uh, Gruber's men's clothing store. But it was beautiful. Canadian furs. And then crack cocaine gets introduced to the East Coast, and it's just like somebody hit a switch, and it just went away. Wow. It just went away. Like, suddenly- Why did it all fall descend upon Irvington, though? You know, I, I Next think- Next to Newark? Yeah, I think Newark had a big uh, you know influence. A lot of the beautiful people in Newark wanted to get out. They were scared after the riots of 67, and they came to Irvington, and then the people from Irvington wanted to get out. They wanted to get to the you know the East Hanovers or the Unions or the Coldwells and you know get something a little they bit left. bigger. And they left. And- uh when crack got introduced, man, burglaries went crazy, drugs went crazy, murders were going nuts, purse snatches, everything you can imagine. And uh and that's when I started to shine because I grew up as a scumbag kid. I was, you know, <laughs> yeah. Listen, there was no such thing as rules in my household, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I got arrested a bunch of times as a child. I remember the first time I got arrested. I remember the cop's name, Ray Shrek, who was a old timer back then oh shit and uh i ended up working f- with him for years did he remember you oh of course of course no everybody kidding. remembered me oh, all wow. the cops that i worked with remembered me so how'd you get on the job with that kind of reputation well thank god there was no computers in those days <laughs> <laughs> um i got on a job because of a uh because of a certain uh, police officer he was my mentor he knew he knew my background uh he knew my family background. We lived in the federal housing projects, and in order to live there, you had to be poor. Mm-hmm. And I came from a very poor family. I'm the youngest in my family. My brothers and sisters are a lot older than me by double digits. And, uh, you know, after getting arrested so many times, this one cop kind of plucked me out of the projects and said I could be somebody. And uh, his name uh, is Tony Graffa, and he's my hero. He's my mentor. He, uh, he said, I could be somebody, a cop patting me on the back saying I could be somebody. And uh, he was right. That's cool. know, I, didn't, I didn't think I could. I didn't think I could be anything. You know, I'm, I'm not educated. I don't have college. I got a high school diploma, which I'm still not sure how I got it. Yeah, me too. Right. And uh, and the next thing you know, uh, I got a gun and a badge on because of this particular cop, you know. And uh, like I said, Irvington was beautiful. It was a beautiful town. Um, like I said, it still is. It's just different, but it's, you know. And uh and then I was in my sixth year. I was on a job six years, and I was down at the Jersey Shore, Manasquan. Not that anybody's ever been there, because it's probably the most beautiful place in the world. <laughs> but uh, I just remember answering the phone. We uh, I was at a house with a bunch of other cops, and I remember late at night the phone rang, and uh, 
and on the other end of the phone was, again, a, a great young kid, a young rookie cop by the name of Eddie Fitzgerald. He called me up. He was only on a job a few months. And he said, hey, Hogue, are you awake? It was like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. He said, Hogue, are you awake? I said, yeah, there's plenty of room. Come on down. That's you guys usually call because they want to, like, you know, jump in on the summer house. And he said, listen, Tony was just shot and killed. Oh, shit. And, uh, like, I didn't have a dad. My, I said earlier, you're not on the program, but, I, you know, my father was murdered when I was two, and I didn't have anybody. Tony was Tony was my mentor. He was my guidance. He was... Um, he he was he was the the human being that uh, and the police officer that turned me into a man, and to hear Eddie Fitz tell me that uh, that Tony was shot and killed, I I honestly I honestly didn't believe it. I thought I was having a nightmare. Uh, he taught me everything about childhood, you know, teenager, and next thing you know, he's teaching me how to shake a hand, how to look somebody in the eye. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that patted me on the back and said, you know, you can be a cop one day, and I became a cop because of him. And to hear that he died, because back in those days, you, you know, there's no social media. You know, it's right. one of those things where, you know, um, you might hear about a New York City cop or a Philly cop getting killed, but you maybe read it in the paper somewhere if you read the paper, because I never read the paper. Or you watch it on TV. You know, we didn't really have televisions. Um, and when Tony died, I, you know, I, you know, he was tactically sound, physically fit. He was a new husband and a new father. Mm. He had a beautiful baby, Nicole. And, uh, and and now he's dead, and it just makes no sense to me, you know. And from his death, I've learned I've learned a lot on my own, but with his guidance, either through God or whatever. But uh, he he uh, he, uh, he 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 turned me into a, a beautiful human being. He taught me about respect and kindness and love and. Um, like I said, how to look people in the eye mm-hmm. more than anything. What a lot of us don't do in law enforcement is, you know, we tend to forget how to listen. You know, we're always in control. We're always moving forward. We're always telling people what to do. Maybe, you know, maybe it's okay to step back. And Tony, Tony taught me that. Mm. And, uh, did he have a lot of respect in Irvington? Oh, he was, listen, not only from the citizens, but all co-workers. I mean, some of these cops who looked at him like he was the man. He, mm-hmm. you know, he was that guy that everybody listened to. If he stepped out of roll call, in those days, we, you know, we stood at attention at roll call and they went up and down and checked your shirt and mm-hmm. your uniforms and your make sure your gun was clean. And if Tony stepped out of, out of line uh, to talk to somebody or to talk to the group, man, everybody stopped and listened, you know, because he was- All bosses too. Everybody, everybody. Yeah. You know, he was that kind of a guy. And I was fortunate enough to- uh, for him to be my mentor. How old was he? Uh, not when he was killed, but when he was a cop. It, to be honest with you, I never really thought about his age. You know, to me, it didn't matter. He could have been the oldest or the youngest. Yeah, but yeah. I'm was just, just curious. Yeah. How no, I'm going to say he was probably in his uh, mid thirties at the time. Okay. Um, I was, like I said, I was eighteen, nineteen, and I looked at him. I, you know, like on a pedestal. I mean, you know, he, but he knew my background. He knew where I was. And Did he have I the same was. background? Is that why? You know, I don't think so. Um, I just remember uh, the one time when I, you know, the several times, but he pulled up in, in his personal vehicle. It was a Cadillac Eldorado Beretz, mm-hmm. you know, which back in those yeah. days was like the most beautiful car in the world. I'm thinking, this guy's got it all. He was the best dressed I've ever seen, yeah. you know, and he came from a great background from what I understand. He was a carpenter, builder, you know, and he and he had it all. He had a beautiful wife, a beautiful kid, and more than anything, uh, he had me as his as his mentor. So. Were the only one that he adopted like that? Um, I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you yes yeah. or no, but... Um, you know, when I became a cop, he was the one that told me about my father being murdered. Um, he knew he knew that we were from the projects, and you know, and he knew that I was, you know, a thief and uh, and just a piece of shit. You know, yeah. But uh, when I was a kid, I really didn't have any rules. I had, you know, I had brothers and sisters that kind of flew to coop early. How many of you? Uh, are I'm there? the fourth. I'm the youngest. Yeah. Uh, my two oldest, uh, they're a lot older than me by double digits. Uh, my brother, the, the one that's just above me, is older than me by three or four years. Um, but they all left. Like everybody, you know, and I ended up being back, staying home with my mom. And my mom was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was really no rules. You know, she cleaned herself up several times. Um, but, you know, when you go back, you're worse. It's and tough, man. Yeah. What, a, what a tough life. Yeah. But uh, How was your father killed? My father was mur- murdered by the mob. I was. I figured yeah, you were going to say yeah, something like that. Yeah. He, uh, you know, he got into the loan sharks. Um, couldn't pay, couldn't pay, couldn't pay. And they beat him up several times. And then the last time they beat him up, 
he managed to crawl into the house. We lived on Coit Street at the time. And uh, my sister, when he walked into the house, my sister couldn't even recognize her wow. own father. And it turns out that uh, you know, my sister wanted to help him. Let's go to the hospital. And uh, she said, no, no, let's just stay right here. If I don't feel well in the morning, we'll go to the hospital then. And he never woke up. From eternal bleeding or something. Yeah, they beat, they beat him really bad. They mm. beat him really, really bad. They beat him to death. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got all the reports. I read all the reports and everything. You know, back in those days, they didn't call it murder. They called it sudden death. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, not, not sudden death. Uh Unusual death or some, some, you know, it wasn't listed as a homicide or a murder. Now, was, now your sister, you're, you're, I'm sure she was significantly traumatized. Oh, by my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. What happened to the rest of the family? You know, we all split up. Not, you know, my sister, I got married um, as one child, retired police officer now. Uh, my brother, Pete, no children. He's uh, living down south uh, in Maryland. Uh, my brother, Marty, lives on top of a mountain. In uh, North Carolina, no, no kids, no nothing. I got two kids. He hasn't seen either one of them. Whoa! Yeah, so yeah. you don't talk to Marty? No, I do. We talk. We okay, text or whatever. But he's you know he's a recluse. He, you know he's a great dude and all, but he just doesn't come off the mountain. He stays in. His Everybody house. dealing with this trauma of growing up the way you guys did. Yeah, it's, you know, we all just had to go our separate ways. You know what I mean? I get it. So listen, so people don't realize that childhood trauma is fucked up. It listen, it fucked us all up. Oh, it I'm sure. Us, it fucked us all. And up. And you're just lucky enough to be able to escape it. Yeah, and, well, and make something out of yourself. I didn't make it. Tony Graffa, my superhero, he, he saw something me. in you. Yeah, and and that's 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 what I'm talking about. Law enforcement. He knew you weren't a real piece of shit to the core. Right. You were just a confused kid, right. lost yeah. kid. Yeah, me I was, too. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. I did a lot of dumb shit. Yep. And uh, I don't think I was ever a bad person. Yeah. There was a couple things I did as a kid that weren't so good. That, me you know, too. I'd yeah. rather not talk about. Yeah. But, you and uh, me both. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many bodies you got? Yeah, uh, listen, yeah. statue limitations. I got nothing to say. <laughs> I got nothing to say about any of that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I see a teardrop tattoo. Is that what I said? <laughs> no, no, I actually had it removed. No, so <laughs> no. But uh, listen, childhood was childhood, and uh, my my greatest my greatest uh, uh, word about Tony is uh, if it wasn't for Tony, I'm really not sure where I'd be right now. Uh, along with along with a lot of other people, you know, when my mother sobered up, things got really good. Uh, when she fell off the wagon, it got really bad again. You know, my brother and my sister uh, tried their best. They had their lives to, you know, deal with. Um, so I basically had to survive on my own, you know, make my own way with the help of Tony and, and one or two others. Mm-hmm. And, no grandparents around or anything? You know, again, talk about childhood, right? You know, as a kid, you always wish you had a grandfather or grandmother or something like that. Do you know when I was 23 years old or 22 years old, I overheard my mother talking on the phone with her sister about their mother, Hmm. who I was told was long dead. Oh, wow. And she was alive and in a mental institution up there in Essex uh, County, up in the Coldwells. She was in a mental institution. And they were all, they, my my mother and her sister, were embarrassed by that and didn't let us know. If it wasn't for me over, you know, hearing her talk on the phone, I would have never known she was alive. Wow. So what happened then? Did you go visit her? Freaking A right I did. What was that like? She did, she was nonverbal. Oh, okay. Uh, my, mother, my mother had said to me that uh, when you go see her, take a good look at her legs. She's got beautiful legs. I'm thinking, what? You know, like, yeah, what? yeah, yeah. And sure did shit. I went up there and she was sitting outside of her room in a chair, um, nonverbal, just with her hands like this. Um, old, very old. Yeah, yeah. But she had that you know, like a medical gown on, mm-hmm. and she did have beautiful legs. No, no varicose veins or nothing wow. like that, you know? She probably was known for that. That's why I'm guessing the little psychology, I know that that was your mother's fondest memory of her. Yeah, probably, yeah. I'm sure yep, it's yep. That's difficult to grow up with her Dennis, as well. That's a good way. You're probably yeah. right. But uh, I'm glad I went up to see her because about two and a half months later, she died. Mm. No, no other grandparents, though. No. You know, I, I got really no memory, you know, of... of any of that, you know. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. why when I heard, I heard it, like, I was so mad at my mother. I was so upset with her, you know. Um, but, you know, in the end, you know, my mother died my best friend, but that's a whole other portion. Well, you did a lot of forgiving, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, of course. Listen, you have to forgive. You have to. No matter who you are as a human being, forgiveness is such a release, mm. you know. But uh, Hard to do sometimes, though. It, it, listen, it is. It is. But, you know, I think like anything, now, especially now that I'm older, um, I just, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't pay to have 
hate hate and it doesn't pay to have drama and it doesn't pay to like worry about other people's issues and right. issues that they create for you just you know what fuck you you yeah. know and let it go like you know just let it go yeah so now i become a cop and uh and tony's dead and and i was like how was he killed tony was killed by a guy by the name of teddy rose teddy rose uh was an Irvington guy never been arrested before um was the doorman at a nightclub called Motions, which was in Irvington on Springfield Avenue. It was a disco back in those days. And uh, Teddy Rose, we would drive him home sometimes when it rained. Uh, we knew his mother. He lived on 40th Street. And, uh, you know, he wasn't the best of kids, but he was, wasn't the worst of kids either. Well, Tony gets a phone call, uh, I mean, a dispatch call from dispatch and says there's a burglary going on at the pizzeria on Springfield Avenue on 40th Street. He goes up there. He assesses it. All glass front looks good. Dispatch says uh, they might be going in through the rear. He goes around the back. There's an alleyway slash driveway. And who's coming out of the alleyway? But this guy, Teddy Rose. Want to make a long story short? Um, Tony and Teddy knew one another and knew each other by first name. Wow. And uh, Tony says to Teddy, hey, by the way, I see you carry that backpack all the time. There's no burglary, by the way. There's no signs of a burglary. And they knew each other by name. Like I said, hey, Tony, hey, Ted. And they have a conversation, and Tony says, hey, by the way, what are you carrying that backpack? And in the backpack was a sort-off shotgun, and Teddy Rose brought it up to his belly button and fucking blew his fucking guts out and blew him into the fucking street. He was afraid to go to jail, you know? And knowing Tony, Tony being so sharp and so good, he'd be like, yeah, you're under arrest for a shotgun. Like, what's the big deal? You know, we know each other, but Teddy Rose decided to, uh, the coward fucking scumbag piece of dog shit that he is, you know, pulled the trigger and blew Tony into the street. And he laid in the fucking gutter by himself, literally holding his fucking, his guts and his intestines. It's terrible. Horrible. Horrible. Who found him? Uh, well, he managed to call off and, you know, it was gurgling on the radio and they all got there. And, uh, you know. Died he, on scene. He, uh, they kept him alive a little while. He managed to die at the university hospital. But what happened to Teddy Rose? He ran down the street. He lived on 40th Street. Went and seen mommy, stole mommy's car. Drove down to Atlanta County to see his grandmother. And when he got to his grandmother's house, he said, listen, I killed a cop. I shot a cop down there to the state police. You know, she ended up calling the state police and they locked him up down there. Real life. He got sentenced to death, Dennis. Yeah. And they overturned the death penalty. He got 30 years. This was 1984. You do the math. So he's out. We've managed, not we, his daughter, Nicole, has managed to gone. We've all gone to it, but we're not allowed to talk at the parole board. Only mm-hmm. this- Family could talk. So we've kept them in now. So I think we had, this was our third parole hearing. And um, he gets another one, I believe, in July of next year or the year after. But he's been in there like 36 or 37 years. He's only 59 years old. Yeah. You know? He's got a good shot of getting out. Oh, he's going to get out. Yeah. He's going to get out. You know, we just, I just pray every day that he doesn't. But, uh, you know, the, of course, the way that fucking society is going and all this liberalism and nobody stays in jail anymore. I'm sure, you know. What's his, what's his, do you guys get some insight on him now? We, listen, I, you know, the sad part about it is I, I was friendly with Teddy Rose, you know. Um, do you guys get to see him when he comes out for the parole hearing? Is he there? N- no. What Do they give you updates on him? Is he a moral cat? Is he a, ups- he's, or is he a bad? He's inmate? had a few incidents in, in, the, in the prison system. So that, that I think has been keeping him in too. But he's going to be out. The fucking scumbag will be out. He'll be out. He'll be walking amongst all of us, you know. And Tony's not walking anywhere. Mm-hmm. He's walking at my side. He's right here, right mm-hmm. now. And he's with his family, um, you know, spiritually. But, you know, Teddy Rose is going to be walking these streets. And, you know, we as cops are going to have to deal with that fucking scumbag somewhere down the road. Somewhere down the road, we're going to encounter him again, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, yeah, so, uh, so Tony dies and, uh, I'm a young cop. I'm on the job six years. And, you know, he was my mentor. He looked over me. Anytime I did anything, he was always there. If I needed some advice about this, that, or the other thing, you know, he was the guy I went to. And uh, I don't have him anymore. Hmm. I don't have him anymore. What year was that? That was 1984. Mm-hmm. Nobody tell you how old I was in 1984? Were you born yet? Yeah, I was born. Okay. I was too far off. <laughs> I was an 80s baby, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, you should have been around the 80s. When you're 21 or 22. Yeah, that's the best time, right? <laughs> oh, my God. It was, was awesome. Wild. It was, listen, it was, 
This is the I, best decade. It, I, there's no doubt. Yeah. You know, I, I got two kids right now and a wife, so I, I got to be careful what I say. Yeah, I get it. I understand. How old are your kids? My, my daughter's 26. She'll be 26 this month. My son will be 23 this month. And I'm going to tell the world my son's going to be a cop. He's graduating. He says, Dad, I want to be a cop. No problem. Yeah. So he's going to be a cop. Hopefully the sheriff's department. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's going where I don't want to change. Yeah. yeah anything, I get it. Yeah. Know, I get you know, it. No but worries. it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of that, that moment when he came to me. I said, but just make sure you go tell your mother. You oh, know? shit. <laughs> Which, what I, made him want to be up. a cop? Is it you? Uh, I, I think so. You know, he went to like seven youth academies. Oh, uh, okay. You know, so, yeah. You know, it was in his blood. And then they actually called him back to like, uh, Talk a little bit to the younger kids. Oh, that's kid. cool. Yeah, yeah. so. I I'm going to say this, door. too. Just so you know, I, my kids are now saying it. Like, okay, my son asked me this today. I said, you know, I got to go to Boston today. Mm-hmm. I'll see you tomorrow night. I'll be home. He goes, you got to teach cops up in Boston? He's eight. I go, yeah. He goes, you teach them how to punch bad guys in the face? I said, yeah, something like that. I said, um, you know, if, if, if cops may have to do that if they're fighting the bad guys. That happens right. sometimes. That was it. Yeah, so yeah. I these these kids, they got the sirens on their bikes already. <laughs> You know, they wear the shirts, street cop shirts right. at the school. Right. I will support whatever they want to do. That's exactly. That's all I can that's, do. Listen, whatever you want to do, do it. Yeah. Whatever it is, I would never tell you no, Dad. Because he came to me like, Dad, what do you think? I go, what do I think? I said, well, you do whatever life. you want. Yeah. I said, I'm not going to tell you yay or nay. You know, I'm happy that you're making a decision about doing something. With some of these kids today can't freaking put one foot in front of the other. Never mind figure out what they want to do. Or where, now, where you're around a, lot, a long time. I, you know, I tell people this all the time at... So I've had a, I'll give you an example of a, of a story, but maybe I don't have to, but people say to me, oh, these millennials this, oh, these millennials that. And I tell people, I got on the job 21 years ago. They were lazy fucks then too. I don't know. Were they lazy fucks when you got on the Absolutely. job? Absolutely. So I don't know why people think that these millennials are these lazy fucks. As a matter of fact, I think they're a great generation. Almost everybody who works at this office is a millennial and they are on it. Right. Purpose driven, right? Purpose right. driven. Give them Absolutely. a purpose. Here's my story. I'm in a class uh, in North Jersey. Very supervisor heavy. So 91 people in the class, but it's just, it's a case law class and it's very, very super. I mean, I'm seeing all sorts of insignias on all sorts of things. And mm-hmm. I don't know why, but the, the common theme to all these case law classes are they come in very angry. They leave very happy, but they come in very, I don't know what the chip on the shoulder is. I don't feed into it too much. So one guy raises his hand. He goes, how do I get these millennials to listen to me? I go, well, here's your advice. Stop talking to them like they're pieces of shit. If you treat them with some respect and stop acting like a fucking asshole all the time, you'd be surprised. Oh, my God. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I said, the days of people standing at attention, listening to you bark orders in their face, they're going to ask why. And guess who tells them to ask why? You're talking to the guy. Because there's no, we have to evolve in this profession to evolve in this profession. The less we evolve, the more people die. Right whether it's cops or people in public. So thousand percent. all you got to do is say, you know what? It isn't what it was like 20 years ago, and that's fine. But you could just be nice, have some compassion, and have some respect. Watch how that works for you. Let me know. Get back to me in a year. Let me know how that works for you. That's it. Listen, it goes back to the something that we all knew as, as, as young police officers or young leaders. Treat people with respect. Oh, yeah. Look them in the eye. And like I said earlier, let's try listening. Yeah. You know? Let's try listening. Yeah. And and the more you listen and the more you pat somebody on the back, that's what you're going to get out of them. Oh, the best. Yes. Yeah. So if you talk down to somebody, if you're legitimately angry at whatever you're angry about, spew out what you want to spew out and say, listen, I'm sorry I'm, I'm acting this way. Sorry I'm yelling at you, but we can't have this happen again. And I appreciate maybe, you know, use some words, use a phrase, use your inflection of your voice to say, listen, I screwed up, but maybe next time, guys, let's try doing it this way. As soon as you stop listening or as soon as you think you're more powerful than somebody, as soon as you start to look down at them, as soon as you start to talk down at them, you know, these millennials, which we all were at one point, mm-hmm. are going to shut down. You know, they're going to like, they're not going to listen to you. How about now? These these fuckers ain't scared either. They'll vote no confidence yeah, in a second. Yeah, now, right? yeah. I mean, they'll listen, file They'll file lawsuits listen, on you. This I, ain't the days. I teach, I teach at a lot of police academies throughout the state and in other states. And I could tell you this, you know. There are some kids that just don't care. They're just there for whatever they're there for. But I'll say to you, probably 95% try their best and are there for a reason. Yeah. You know? And I always ask every single class of these millennials, as they say, raise your hand if you don't want to be here. And no hands go up. Right. 
You know, you think they just think it's a trick question? Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> like, right. Like, you know, like, drones for right. <laughs> You know, listen, you get you get, and again, I'm not asking you know kindness for weakness, but sometimes in in this law enforcement career as bosses and as leaders, you know, I'll say this again for the hundredth time: listen, know what that person's going through, that police officer is going through, right? And, and and as soon as you could listen and understand the fear that he may have had or the decisions that he made that might be good, bad, or indifferent, you know, we're not all the same. You know, we all have issues. We all got problems, you know. Maybe you should look into why, you know. This guy did what he did, you know, because he was really aggressive and he wanted to catch the bad guy and maybe he made a mistake. You know, maybe he broke a rule or something. You know, listen to it and understand it. And like you say, compassion and kindness go a long way. Sure. And again, don't take kindness for weakness because if we talk about it now and you do it two or three more times, guess what? You get punched in the throat. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right, you know what I mean? You punch in the throat. Right, and that's the same thing that I did in law enforcement, you know? Fool me very, once. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Fool me twice. I'm going to kick your fucking ass and drag your ass somewhere, you yeah. know? Yeah, you know, I, I got to tell you, I think that I've lived my life as a very forgiving person. I um, I have really, as somebody was sincerely apologetic for something, I'm like, yeah, it's, we're good. Yeah. And, and, and so, We may not be friends, right. but I forgive you. Right, right. You can't drag that into your life. It, it'll bring you down. When you oh, start yeah. holding all of that, no. it brings you down. It brings you down. You got to enjoy the things that are great in life. Listen, the police work was the greatest job in, in life for me. It, I mean, I fucking love being a cop. Everything about it, I loved. Yeah, you know? I went time, to work. Right. right. I went to work every single day. Happy. Listen, I couldn't wait to get to I work. Know. You know, I've just, you know, and guys that I worked with are like, oh, please, not today. You yeah, gotta, same not thing. Not today. What are you going to do? You know, <laughs> like, what did you say to me? I never saw somebody who was so excited to get be getting to work. Right. Every day. Right. Every time you go to work, you're 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 pumped. Yeah. I'm like, well, it's eighty one degrees out. Right. It's a Wednesday, which means it's playtime. Right. Right? Like it's not a Saturday at eighty one, right. then you're fucked. Right. Or a Friday or a third. It's a Wednesday, it's eighty one. It's right. the first eighty one degree day. Um, I know we got a fat squad. We're gonna have right. eighteen guys in the car. You know, we're gonna be good. I'm right. gonna, That's so. the other thing too. You you walk into the headquarters and you go to roll call and you look around the room going, oh, there's some good cops in this room. Yeah, we're gonna yeah, have fun we got today. a lot of personnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be good. It's, yeah, gonna, it's gonna be, be a good day. day. Yeah. I hope you know we got something good going on yeah, today. Yeah, all of that we could we can go into that forever. It's interesting how the law of attraction and the forces come together. And here we are finding a lot about each other. Yeah. That it's pretty similar. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, very similar. Um. Yeah, so Tony died, and uh, and uh, I was lost for a while. Yeah. But when, in Tony's death, like all the things he taught me when he was alive as a cop, in his death, I started to look at his death. When Teddy Rose pulled that trigger and blew him away, and, and, and to hear some of the things that were said that night about his death and all, and, you know, I said uh, that was the first time as a young police officer, and these young guys today – you know, they don't think it's going to happen to them. Mm. They truly go to work every day thinking, oh, I'm a cop and I'm going to get my pension. You know, that whole mental, yeah. you know, that guys think about. You know, they don't realize that, um, and this is what I teach and lecture all the time, what we do as cops, which no other profession other than maybe the military, is we leave our cocoons every day and we drive to a place where we can die. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that's my line. That's I, I, I let these kids know. Like, you know, you signed up for the circus. You all said you want to be here. You're going to leave your homes. You're going to leave your pillows. You're going to leave your family. You're going to get in your car, and you're going to drive to a place where you can die. But yet, you don't mentally prepare yourself. You just think it's somebody else. It's going to be the next town over. It's going to be the, the next city over. It's going to be out in Texas or Arizona or Kansas or wherever, you know. How about this? You leave your home. You're going to the same place, whether it's Kansas, Missouri, Texas, Jersey, you can die. And most young kids, most young, even veterans now, I mean, you, I mean, you do it, you teach, that's what you guys do. You know, you lecture about safety and all of these survival things. They leave their homes and they drive to a place where they can die. And what do they do? They get in their car. Some people have a five-minute ride to work. Some people have a 50-minute ride to work. And what do they do? They're rushing to get to the donuts. They're rushing to get to that re- the diner where the pretty girl is or that good-looking guy is. They don't think or prepare mentally at all. They just think it's going to be something else. They just fall into that routine. They leave their cocoons. And the next thing you know, they're in roll call and like, all right, what's going on today? Oh, so maybe you work in a small town. Nothing's going on. So think it's not going to happen. You know, that's, please, dear Lord, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you guys do it all the time. I tell this in class, I say two things that sparked in my mind while we're sitting here. The first one I say is, I can't bring back the men and women who have lost their lives in the line of duty. But if I could, and I could sit them here all with you, 
and we could spend a few days listening to what they would tell you. You would learn a lot. And it's probably a lot of things you don't realize that you're doing. Right. I said, two, if you want to do yourself a favor, and I don't play this in class. I can't watch it. I can't stomach it. It's to go home and watch two to three hours of cops getting killed in the line of duty videos. Not because I'm trying to make you get upset. Because I want you to see what the potential of you losing your life is. When you can see it and it's tangible to you. That right. that could be you. Because right. you've done shit like that before. Because you could have been that person there. You probably treat this job a little differently. And that's up to you. I, that's not this class. This class isn't. I'm giving you tactics on how not to die on some simple changes that you can do. That's your homework to do. I don't find great pleasure in having to say that, but I can't do anything about that. Right. What I can do is something about you. Right. And this is what I'm passing on to you. And unfortunately, there are certain circumstances where the cop had no chance, but there's a lot of circumstances where things could have been different had there been some training in place, some thought in place. Absolutely. And I'm not, listen, I don't say that on the, on the, I mean, people literally, I run the, the biggest police training company in the country. This is my life. This right. is who I live for this. Right. You know, I, this is, this is what I, believe is my calling right uh, so i say that understanding that everybody has lost people i'm not saying that very lightly i mean that uh, that i'm very empathetic to that i've been to well, dozens of police funerals Ugh. you know I, I have a hard time going to them i go but man i got a hard time yeah. i cannot i dennis i literally cannot go to a awake viewing I cannot see a dead to this day. I cannot look into a casket, a dead, a, a dead cop in a box. Well, I can't a whole do different it. Different story, can't. Yeah, yeah, I, I, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is this is this is this is the passion I could hear in your voice. Yeah. And this is definitely for the, everybody that listens to your podcast or you and all your training. I mean, I've taught thousands and thousands and thousands of cops with my lecture, and uh, I, I that passion. I I can't not lecture i can't not right. teach i can't because of that calling like i i literally can't see another tony graffa die i just i can't and and it, unfortunately it's happening all the time and i get sick to my stomach i get i get i get so upset sometimes that i just i just i want to choke some guys like you, you know there's certain things you could have done you know and mm. maybe not like you say at that very moment when it's going to happen it's just you know you don't you but have a mindset have a mindset going into it. And that's why, I t Dennis, that's why I say when you leave your house, just understand where you're going. Like literally open up your mind yeah. for a few seconds. It's Don't get so complacent that it's going to happen to the next person or it's going to happen in the next town or the next state. God damn it, it could happen right here, right fucking now. And But yet you're so busy and we all have issues. You know, we talked earlier about family life and about, you know, bills and things like that. You know, sure, we all have that. Maybe take a few minutes on your ride to work and clear your head and say, I'm going to live today for whatever reason. You pick the reason, you know, and that's that's what Tony's death taught me. Mm. You know, six years, I'm a young kid. At that point, I was like 23 years old, 24 years old, and Tony's dead, and I was lost. And Tony's death said to me, if Tony could die, that means I could die. I don't want to fucking die. Mm -hmm. I don't want to die. I don't think anybody in this room wants to die. No. You want to do your thing. You want to literally leap into this job because that's what our passion is. That's what we want. That's. I mean, I was six years old. I knew I wanted to be a cop at six. Yeah. You know? And the bottom line boiled down to was the guy that got me there, my superhero, is fucking dead. He's mm -hmm. fucking dead. He's a new husband. He's got a brand new baby, Nicole. And, you know, baby Nicole's two years old. And if somebody like him can die, had everything in the world to live for, you know, had everything, had the ability to pat me on the back and say, I could be somebody, you know, and the next thing you know, I am somebody, I'm a fucking cop. Mm -hmm. And he made me that cop, Yeah, you know, and, and now he's dead. And I, I still, even today, I, it just sickens me to even say it, Yeah, you know, and now, got cheated. yeah, it's, listen, not only did I forget about me, so he, he much. got cheated. He, he got, got yeah, yeah, he he got cheated. His wife got cheated. Nicole got cheated. Every citizen in this state got cheated. You know what I mean? Because he was a loving, beautiful, kind, awesome, sweetheart of a human being that didn't look at race or color or religion. He wanted everyone to have police protection. He wanted everyone to be safe. He wanted everyone to know that he was there. Mm. You know, and now he's shit. fucking dead. Yeah. Now he's dead. And I'm telling you, his death taught me how to live. His death taught me how to be tactically sound, somewhat physically fit, and understand that everybody needs the police. Everybody. I don't yeah. care who you are. 
that he taught me that. And he taught me how to live. His death taught me how to live. And I came up with this plan. It took me 10 years to come up with this plan. But this is what I lecture about this plan. And the plan is simple as this. Okay. I don't want to die today. I get in my car. I clear my head of all my problems. And I say to myself, I don't want to die today. Then I would say, you know what? I'm not going to let them kill me. And them are the engineered killers, the people that just don't like the police and they want to hurt us all the time. Okay. I'm not going to let them get to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm not dying on a, and then all of a sudden, what if came into my plan? Again, this all took 10 years. What if? What if the boogeyman does get me? What if the boogeyman gets you? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Are you going to cave into it? Are you going to go through all the training that you guys have taught and all of the things that you should go through? Because, you know, cops don't want to take the time to go to training. You know, if you got something good, like your product is awesome. People should sign up for it. Cops should understand what it is. Go there and get a mental state of mind as to what to do and how to do it. You know, I'm not dying. They're not killing me. What if, if the boogeyman gets me and this is what hit me, this was the, this was the, um, whatever the word would be, epiphany, whatever. What was Tony or any cop, any fucking cop that the boogeyman gets. And as they lay on the ground, knowing they're taking their last breath, they know they're dying. What are they thinking about right at that moment? Mm. What are they thinking? That, you know, you're taking your last breath. You know exactly what it is. You know exactly where you're going. What are you thinking about right at that moment? Mm. And it dawned on me what Tony was thinking about. And this is what I lecture about. This is what I teach in my three-hour stuff is Tony was thinking about the most important people in his life. And we were talking about it earlier. Mm-hmm. He was thinking about his beautiful wife and his beautiful daughter. Yeah. So he laid in the gutter, knowing he was going to die. And they were the two people he was thinking about. Mm. And that's what I do. I make that a part of my lecture, a part of my plan to live. Have that mindset. I'm not dying. They're not killing me. What if? If the boogeyman gets me, I'm going to think about the most important people in my life. And for me, right at that moment, okay, I'm on a job 16 years, okay? When my incident took place, 10 years of planning, 10 years, Tony's death and every cop from Tony's death till my 16th year. I thought about each case as much as I could, as get as much information I could and listen and understand what took place during each one of these cops dying. And I realized every one of them had to be thinking the same thing. They had to be thinking of the most pe- most important people in their life. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a husband, a wife, kids. It could be your dog, your cat, your grandparents, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Everybody's got something. I'm on the job 16 years and my day comes. You know, the boogeyman gets me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 43 days away from getting married, Dennis. You know what I wanted more than anything? I wanted to be a husband. Mm. And I wanted to be a father. And on this particular Monday, I was, it was the day after our uh, uh, wedding shower. I go to work Monday morning. They had taken me out of plain clothes and they put me in uniform because I took that sergeant's test and they told me I was going to be a sergeant. Mm. You know? and, uh, <clears throat> and it turns out that uh, I get in my car I'm in uniform, which is where it, really what I love the best, being in uniform, strapping on a gun. And a Me pants. and you are so oh, much alike. Oh, listen, I, and I literally got, I got into my car thinking about, wow, it was a great weekend. I'm going to get married pretty soon. I own a home. I'm going to, I'm going to get married for, and I'm going to get promoted. Yeah, promoted yeah, it's a big deal. Everything's going great. I got everything going. I got it going. Everything's awesome. And, uh, I clear my head and I got like a, a, a at the time, I live, I, even now, I live in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Oof. Yeah, and uh, thank you. And Irvington's, you know, right down 78, you know, it's like an 18-minute drive. And, of course, you know, it only takes me 10 or 12 minutes because I drive like a fucking cop anyway. <laughs> I get, I tell you, I get pulled over all the time because I drive like an asshole. <laughs> but uh, thank God for the brothers and sisters. Oh, Jersey's a great state. Uh, it's, it's, listen, every one of you guys that pulled me over, thank you. I love you all. <laughs> listen, I'm telling you. Uh, I, I do drive like a jerk. But, uh so I get in my car and uh, I just clear my head, man. I, you know, and I say to myself, you know what? I'm going to live today, and I'm going to live today for these reasons. I'm going to live today because I want to be a husband. Mm-hmm. I want to live today because I want to be a father. I'm going to live today because, God forbid, the boogeyman gets me today. 
I'm going to picture my wife in her beautiful wedding dress walking down the aisle. Mm -hmm. And I think about it for a little while. I just, as I'm driving, I'm, you know, riding down 78 and it's like six in the morning on a Monday. And I'm, you know, there's some snow on the ground. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a husband and a father. What year is this now? This is, uh, 1994. Yeah. And, uh, I do one of these like, yeah, man, it's going to be a great day today. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a great day. And I get into police headquarters, and I, of course, I do what we all do. All good cops should do is look around the room, like I said earlier, and see who the fuck's in the room. There's a lot of great dudes in the room, a lot of guys I went to, the uh, one guy that I went to the academy with, and a bunch of other good street cops in the room. And uh, at the time, felony vehicles were everywhere. You know, it's there's just, it, the shit's all over. There's shit everywhere. There's drugs, guns. I locked up thousands. I've locked up thousands of people with guns. Drugs like you wouldn't believe. Well, you know, I could sit here all day long and, you know, I'm cop 100% mm -hmm. all the time. You know, I get in that police car, I put that badge on. There is no stopping me. Mm -hmm. You know, some of my partners, you know, just, Hogue, please, not today. Can't I know, you just, I know, you know, yeah. Dispatch is like, Hogue, how many plates are you going to run? Hogue, <laughs> how many, you know, and I, I'm not a ticket guy. I don't write fucking tickets. Yeah, it, it gets me to Title 39. will get me to yeah, the car. Yeah, yeah. Then I'm all in. But, uh, so I, you know, I get, I try to get guys motivated that morning and, uh, it, it, it seemed to work. I, Get in my marked car, and the first thing I do is I go to the diner. Which you guys are driving Caprices? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, there's, we had I Caprice. remember the video I watched. I yeah, think it was Caprice. a Caprice. Yeah. I get in the car, and, you know, again, Tony teaching me, and, uh, and I know you uh, teach some of this stuff. You know, it's all about the equipment you have. Do you really know? You know, guys don't, you know, they take all that shit for granted. The shit that's on their belt, they take for granted. The shit that's in the car, they take for granted. You know, they just, you know, it's just... You know, some some guys use Dodge Chargers today and tomorrow to using a you know a Chevy Caprice or they're using the Ford Explorer or you know whatever, and they just think it's just another piece of equipment when it's not. It's just you know you're unfamiliar with it. Yeah, you know, it's because they don't take the time to to learn it. They learn. They don't take the time. They just think, ah, you know. And I, and I preach preach when I do my lectures. Please understand the equipment that you have, and the equipment just isn't the police car and what's on your belt. The equipment's what's in your heart, which we just talked about, what's in your brain, the knowledge that you have, you know, to do your job well, to do it well. Mm -hmm. And I believe I got most of that, you know. I'm a street cop, physically fit, tactically sound, thousands of arrests. I could use my mouth as far as speaking to people. I got to be careful how I said that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, speaking to people and listening to people. And I feel, listen, I'm a very confident, call sure. it cocky, call it what you want, yeah. you know. Um, but when I go to work, I go to work. And, you know, I just remembered leaving the headquarters and uh, going to the diner, uh, understanding what equipment I have, get to the diner, have to have my cup of tea. I'm not a coffee drinker by no stretch of the imagination. But I get my cup of tea and I just clear my head and say, I'm going to catch me some bad guys today. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did every day. I'm going to, when I got in that police car, I had my cup of tea, cleared my head and I'm going for bad guys. Mm -hmm. No one's getting in my way. And you know, ask any of my partners, ask any of my bosses, you know, oh, please stop. You're fucking making everybody crazy. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And on this particular Monday, I, you know, finish up my coffee. I drive up to the neighborhood. They all know me up there. They all know who I am. You know, most of them respect me. I could literally pull him, you know, I could pull up to a corner and say, listen, guys, got to go. And they'd be like, Hogue, we got it, mate. You know, we got it, Hogue. And they would leave. No questions asked. You mm -hmm. know? Because if I say move, I mean move. You mm -hmm. get off the corner, you get off the corner. If I come back and you're here, you know, I don't care. I'll lock you up for whatever stupid shit, you know, disorderly persons. Yeah, give you a fair shot. Yeah, I'm from this city. You're right, from the city. Right, listen, you know me. Listen, I know you. Listen, I'm, I'm a shit -em too. I could be a shit -em just like you. But the bottom line is. I'm the police, and all I ask, I'm not telling you, I'm asking you guys to leave. That's the difference, too, you know. Guys, listen, you have to get off the corner, and, and I've got a great reputation that way. I could literally- People pull, knew, right? I, everybody knew Yeah, people name. come into headquarters, ask him to speak Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because they knew they could trust me. They yeah. all, you know. So uh, I go up to uh, 19th Avenue and 21st Street. Uh, Irvington, that whole neighborhood. I walked the beat there back in the day. I know what cars belong to what houses. I know what kids belong to what- grandparents you know some parents um and uh on this particular morning because it was cold a little bit cold and snow on the ground there was nobody it's like nine o'clock monday morning there's nobody around kind of bizarre mm -hmm. um i drive down 21st street i get to 19th avenue and it's all residential there no schools no bodegas no nothing and uh i just look up and down 19th avenue and i probably sit there for a good 5 10 15 minutes um and then suddenly I looked to my right, and I don't know where this mutt came from, 
You know, he came out of a manhole cover. I don't know where he came from, but all of a sudden he's there. You know, he's got the hoodie on. He's got this very bizarre walk, you know. And, of course, as cops, what do we do? We look at hands first, and then we read the body language. We go through all of that. We mentally get a picture of what could be going on or what should happen or what could happen. And I'm watching him, and it took him a little while because he was taking these little baby steps, you know. And I still can't see his face, you know. And everybody looks at the police. Everybody glances up. When they see a police car, everybody looks up. And you know why. Because they're looking to see if we're looking at them. Mm-hmm. That's really the bottom yeah, line, yeah, yeah. you know. Body language. Yeah, body language. You know? Reaction of presence, right? Absol- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of those things. Listen, you're a cop. You know. You're a street cop. You know exactly what it's all about. And uh, he's not looking at me or the police car. He's got his head down, the hoodie's down. I can't see his face. And he's getting closer to my car. You know, my senses are all going, something's up. I see his hands, you know. I'm trying to read his body language more, and I just can't. And as he gets closer to my car, I'm thinking, he's not looking at me. Let me just try a trick or two. So I rev the engine, you know, thinking maybe he'll look up. He doesn't He doesn't flinch. He gets a little bit closer to the car. And as he gets to, towards the crosswalk, he's, you know, I actually take my police car and I pull up and block his path. You know, and he's about two steps away from the front fender, front bumper, and he just stops dead with his head still down. I can't see his face. And I'm trying to do one of these, you know, look to see where he's at, see where his face is at. And, you know, instead of him walking around in front of the police car, he walks around the back mm-hmm. and I have to take my eyes off him, you know, and I do one of these because I got to swing around I'm thinking he's going to come around the back of the car and then continue through the crosswalk or continue down 19th Avenue. But he doesn't do that. When I look over my left shoulder, I see him, and he's going towards this house on 21st Street. I don't know where these two guys, they weren't there a minute ago, but there's two guys on the porch. It's a drug crack house. And now I realize he's Jones's for his dope. That's what he's doing. I've been in this house. I know the two guys on the porch. Okay, I'm thinking, all right, that's where he's going. So I make a left-hand turn on 19th Avenue. I get out of sight. I turn the car around. I do a K-turn. When I come back around, it only took me a few seconds. When I come back around, this mutt who was taking baby steps... Okay, a minute ago, the two guys on the porch, I mean, I'm talking maybe eight, ten seconds. The guy, two guys on the porch are gone, and this mutt made it almost to the middle of the block. Oh, he's moving. That fast. He's I mean, cooking. like he's like, so when I turn, I realize his back is to me. I'm like, don't rev the car. Don't rush down. I don't, I don't need a foot chase right now. Let me get closer to him. You know that whole thing, how to tactically roll up on him and all, yada, yada. So with that, he makes a left down standard, <clears throat> and uh, I get on the radio all the things that you were taught, all the things, you know, I'm going to do a pedestrian stop at this point. As I'm going down, I said, headquarters, I'll be checking one at 21st and uh, Nelson, standard. When I make the left-hand turn, this mutt made it to the dead-end street, so he moved pretty quick. It, this dead-end street, you're not getting away from me. There's razor wire, there's dogs. You're not, if I get you, and I've been plenty of foot chases, plenty of car chases, you get, I got you, you're cornered. So I tactically put my car in a spot, I stick my head out the window, and his back is to me. He's about 35, 38 feet away. I stick my head out the window. I go, yo, my man, hold up a minute. And as soon as I said the word minute, he reached, literally, his hands are at his side, goes to his waistband. He spins around, pulls on six, six hour, nine millimeter jacket hollow points, and he just starts laying rounds. Never got out of the car. Mm. First round came through the windshield, 12 o'clock. The only reason why it didn't hit me right here is because my head was out the window. Oh, shit. That's the only reason. Now, wow. I'm telling you, 30, think about that. 35, 40 feet away. That's a hell of a That's shot. That's a hell of a shot. These fuckers. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, what do we do? We go I know, try, I You know. know what I mean? We just, twice a year, we go, please, go. you guys, listen, please shoot your fuck. Go fucking qualify four, five, six times a year. We just had a guy, uh, you know, I thought about this this morning. It's funny you bring it up. We had Rich, um, who is our farms instructor for the company, um, and- you know, we talked about, and I'm going to reiterate it here, is he spoke about going to a seminar. I asked him this question where these guys who were these contractors in the Middle East said, you know, when they when they first got started in their gun battles, they started getting nuts and they were wild and they're just firing rounds. And he goes, then we started to calm down, breathe the name. Breathe. So I'm going to pass that on to everybody is if you're going to get in a battle, I'm just going to remind you again, you've heard me say it 150 times. Uh, take a moment to aim and you'll probably win. Yeah. Well, this guy spun around first round, came through the windshield at 12 o'clock. My head was out the window. The round goes past me. My, I literally say those famous words, oh, shit. And I go down. My face goes through the dust. <clears throat> As my face goes through the dust, I hear pop, pop, not rapid fire, just like almost like a, every step or two, he's just letting out a round. But the rounds are getting louder. He's getting closer. Yeah, I know exactly what that means. So I realized, so as I go down to the front seat, I literally just say to myself, all right, my face again, I'm scared to fear all of the things. But I'm realizing, listen, man, 
I know this scenario in my head. I practice it in my head. I've, I've mentally pictured it, this happening to me. And as my face goes through the dust, I get to this uh, front seat. I go down to the front seat and I'm like, right, where was he? As the pop in there, like I said, it's not rapid fire. I just, where was he? He was in front of my police car, more to the driver's side. Okay. I know what I'm going to do. I get down to the floor. I'm thinking he's going to, if he's closer to the driver's side, he's coming to the driver's side. That's what, you know, and the pops keep coming and they're getting louder and louder and louder. And I'm like, all right, get down to the floor, reach up for the door handle. And this is the other thing I, I said earlier about knowing your equipment. Maybe you just got out of your personal vehicle and your door handle somewhere else, but now you're driving a police car. Did you, again, did you take the time when you left roll call, you left the building to sit in your car and do muscle memory and understand the inside of your police car? Like I said, yesterday you had a Ford Explorer. Today they're giving you a Tahoe. You know, the radios are in different spots. Shit hits the fan. You're not going to know where to grab. Right. That's why I'm saying it's, that's why sit in your car, take a few minutes, reach for things, get muscle memory going. It only takes a few minutes. Doesn't take yeah. long. I listen. This is what I did since Tony's death. Since my superhero died, nobody's getting to me. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody's getting to me. When I hit the floor, thinking, all right, he's going to come to the driver's side. I reach out. I don't have to look up. I reach up for the door handle. I know what I'm going to do. When that door opens, I'm going to snake my body along the floor. I'm going to go down to the rocker panel. I'm going to get to the ground. I'm going to be like a snake. He's coming to the front, so I'm going to the back. When I get to the trunk of the car, I'm going to come up. I'm going to engage my... I'm going to kill you, motherfucker. The rounds kept coming. But anyway, I'm down to the floor. I reach up for the door handle, the passenger side. I picked the wrong door. He came to the passenger oh, side. Oh, wow. And he shot this finger right off. Oh, shit. Shot it off. And as he shoots it off, I realize, oh, I'm, you know... That's your trigger you, finger, right? Yeah, it's my trigger finger. I'm right-handed. You carry a backup pistol? I, I did. I did. Where was that? On my ankle. You think and it was a good place to keep it? Um, I wasn't sure where. You know, that was what was taught to me years ago. Like, always have a second gun. Keep it on your ankle. Yeah, I used to carry a second gun, too. You yeah. know what we had was nice? Uh, 5'11". I'm not giving it an endorsement because I'm paid. They, we had, they, they make a, a shirt, but there's a pocket. You can, there's a Velcro go down the front lining. So I used to keep a 38 special right, that's right. in here as right. a backup gun. So yeah. I figured my right hand, I could reach it with my left, I had to reach in. Right. But my right hand, if I, if this thing malfunction, I go right to right. this and I have right. five shots. And I said to people, okay. I used to tell people, if, if I got to shoot this thing, it's, this <laughs> so, is my last, it's called, it's right. a last ditch effort here. Exactly. That's exactly. it. So when I reach up for the door handle, he shoots the finger off and I squirmed a little bit and, uh, and he sees me squirm, and he leans into the car, and he puts the next round right into my shoulder Jesus at point-blank range. Shooting straight down. Straight down, yeah. straight down. And uh, it goes through my bulletproof vest and into my shoulder. Was it an unprotected area? Is that what it was? Um, no, it, it, it was pretty good. You know, it was just, just too close because it, it Well, walking. there's a few yeah. other things. that We'll get to it towards the end. But uh goes through, and I, I realize now I'm in big trouble. He leans in again, and the center of my spine, I got a big, he actually leans in and puts one. It goes through my bulletproof vest and right into my spine. Holy shit. Um, I squirm a little bit more, and then I, you know, you probably noticed it, but he leans in again. Puts one on top of your head. And he puts one right through my skull and into my brain. And, uh, it was lights out. It was, it was, it was done. It was over. That's it. You know, the boogeyman got me and, it's dark. You even have time to think of that now? No. It was done. It was, I was at peace. It was, you know, there was no pain. You know, you hear guys saying, there is no pain. You know, the adrenaline, whatever it is. But uh, I knew it was death. I knew it was over with, you know. And uh, I started talking to Tony. I, I asked to see my father. You know, dad, you know, we're in heaven now. Like, you know, let's talk, dad. Let's, you know, all of these things. And then, were you seeing things too? No, I can't say that I was. Just remember. I just remember just, you know, come on, dad, let's have that conversation, you know. You know, I would say, Tony, you know, your daughter's beautiful. Your daughter's That's beautiful, awesome. you know. And uh, I kept saying, your daughter's going to be fine. You know, we're all looking out for her and stuff. And then I realized, I'm like... No, no, no. I gotta, I gotta walk my wife down the aisle. Mm. I gotta got walk. Business to take care of. Yeah, I gotta walk my, you know, then I, you know, I start picturing now I see, you know, my beautiful bride, you know, in white walking down the aisle. And I'm like, no, no, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. And I start saying to myself, no, Kenny, no, Kenny, sit up, sit up. And I sit up. Oh shit. I'm blind. I'm deaf. The right side of my body's paralyzed. But I sit up. And as I sit up, I start to say to myself, no, no, why'd you sit up, Kenny? Where's the boogeyman? Where is he? You know, where is he? He's going to come back and finish me off. Why'd you sit up? 
And I'm realizing my eyes are open. I can feel my eyes blinking, but I can't see anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, why can't I move my right arm? Were you able to move your left arm? Yeah, thank God. Because now that I sit up, I say, Kenny, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. Start the car, Kenny. Start the car. What two fingers do we use to start our car? Yeah. But yet, did we practice this? Do we understand it? You know, we bitch and moan about shooting at the range with our opposite hands and all of that. Come on, man. Stop fucking belly aching. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you leave your cocoon every day and you drive to a place where you can die, but you won't practice you won't understand it you won't you know you think it's not going to happen to me that i don't, I don't want to use the complacency thing but you know some guys aren't complacent but they don't think what could really happen to them you know some are obviously complacent but you know some of us that are street cops and do you know sometimes even then we don't think oh, of certain I know. things you know I think about right, it all the time. right yeah. right but that's how you know that's cowboy. how guys right, cowboy, that's right. right? exactly call it what you want cowboy call, i don't care what you call it but it's called fucking learning to stay alive mm-hmm. stay the fuck alive yeah for all the things you want to stay alive for that's the key. But yet sometimes we worry, we bellyache about the stupid things we worry and bellyache about, you know? But yet we can leave our homes and drive to a place where we can die. That's the bellyache right there. Because mm. I don't want to leave my fucking family. I don't want to leave what I have. Mm. I don't want to leave it. And I started to realize, you know what? You know, sit up, sit up. And when I sat up and I was like, all right, man. And I tactically put my car where I was supposed to. You know, some guys just, you know, they forget. You know, you're going to stop somebody. You're going to do things. You pick those spots. You know what to do. You understand, especially a pedestrian stop or a car stop. Put it in the places you're supposed to. I put my car in a spot where I can literally put a heavy left-hand turn and go back down uh, towards uh, the opposite end of the dead end street. Or I could turn right hard and go down 21st street. Because he was, like I said, 40 feet. I picked where I could go. I could go right or I can go left. You know, I'm not going all the way that dead end street where now I got to back up and figure out, you know, you know, how backing up could be, mm-hmm. you know, that whole snake shit. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know? crazy. So I, uh, I sat up and I, you know, I'm like, can he start the car? Can he start the car? Get out of here. And I realized my opposite arm is fucking done. My fingers are gone. I can't see it, but I noticed something wrong. So I reach up. I know right where, you know, I, actually, let me stop there. When I got shot, I'm like, all right, you know where the microphone is too? Cause what do we do? What do cops do? Like you say the word cowboy or whatever. Sometimes we put the microphone over the MDT. We'll put it over the mirror. We'll put it over the rifle if there's a rifle there. You can do all of those things. That's fine. Do it every day that way. Muscle memory. So I knew right where my micro. I can't see it. I know right where it is. All I got to do is feel. I reach up for the microphone. I say, I've been shot. I don't know if if anybody hears me. I don't know anything. I say it a second time. I've been shot. I don't know if anybody hears me. Most radios have that little button. You push that button. Lights up on the 911 board, you know, dispatch board, car seven needs help. I put, I, again, the button's about the size of your pinky. Mm-hmm. I reach for it. I feel it. I push it. I can't see it, but that's what we do with street Is cops. It, was the car on? Car, at this point, no. I wasn't, it wasn't on. I had turned it off because I'm thinking. Did you get power to the radio? Well, that's a good question. Do people know that in their cars? Yeah. You know? Yes, there's power to the radio. But again, it could be, there was so many fucking shots fired. Who knows if anything's working? Right, right. You know, but I know my shit. I know my equipment. I know who I am and I know how to do it. You guys carry a portable too? Yes, we have portables too. Were you wearing a portable that day? I was wearing a portable. Would extend the mic or was it attached to your belt? Just attached to my belt. Yeah. So uh, I get on the radio. I say, I've been shot. I I don't know if they can hear. I say the second time I've been shot. I'm like, I don't know if they hear me, but I know where the button is. I push the button and I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of where is he? Where I'm still blind. I'm still deaf and I'm still paralyzed on the right side. I literally fucking start the car, reach up, put the car in drive. I remember tactically where I put the car and I turn the car hard to the right. Now I got a bullet in my brain, a bullet in my spine, a bullet in my shoulder, and a bullet in my hands. And I drove that fucking police car 65 yards. And as I'm driving, I'm thinking I'm hitting parked cars, but there was all snow, you know, from the snow banks. I'm hitting snow, and I'm thinking I'm hitting parked cars. But I'm saying to myself, no, Kenny, Kenny, don't pass out. Don't pass out. I can feel my body going lifeless now. I know I'm dying. I know I'm bleeding out. It's over, you know, but I can't stay here. I can't let these motherfuckers see me dead in the street. That's all Mm -hmm. I kept thinking. I cannot let these fuckers see me dead in the street. And I, uh, I pull up slow slow and i feel my body going lifeless and i just start to do this i start to pass out my body's going to the right and the car goes to the right I end up driving up a snowbank and uh i lose all consciousness i you know i know this is it it's did over. the radio work when you were calling it in i don't know mm-hmm. at that point you ever find out if it's well, i'll tell you in a minute okay so uh i can't live in the suspense <laughs> so i i end up almost passing out and i say you know if you know if you pass out you die that's that's my mentality. I've I'm heard not that pass, a lot. Right. If I pass. So, again, that famous word, breathe, man. Just breathe. And I say to myself, all right, Hogue, just 
Just take a breath. Just take a breath. Come on, you can do it again. Take another breath. I take a second breath and then a third breath, and suddenly I got my eyesight back. Oh, wow. Good for you. Yeah. And the first thing I do is I want to see what's going on, and my finger's gone. It's gone. And I'm like, fuck. And I'm just like, all right, man. All right, just. You're going to make it. Just sit up, man. Just sit up. You can sit up. You know, the car's dead stop now. I'm not quite sure where I'm at. But as I sit up, I literally sit back in my police car, and I sit back, and I sit back. My eyes are open, and I look down, and I'm like, did they hear me? Did they hear me? And the next thing you know, I look right through the windshield, and here comes the police. One of them, one of them.